It seems like every other conversation about the Thunder these days centers on trades. Who's the best backup big to provide a rebounding assist? Who has a long athletic wing who fits the system and comes at a fair price? And it's easy to see why these are the hot topics. For starters, OKC is ahead of schedule, and some people wanted to take the next step to behave like a title contender and address immediate issues immediately. And then there's this past week's road trip, which included a couple of uncharacteristic losses, sparking further conversation about what might patch some of the holes on the roster. I'm not against trades. While I don't think Sam Presti will pull the trigger on anything massive this season, it feels like there are lots of soft spots on the margins he could shore up. But for the most part, I think the Thunder wants to get a look at this team in the playoffs, see what it learns, and build from there. That doesn't mean it should stand pat, and trades aren't the only way to improve. So today, we'll talk a little bit about internal development, where the Thunder has made it, where there's still room for growth, and what improvements could have the biggest impact between now and playoff time. That and more with my sellout crowd colleague, John Hamm, is next. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Yo! Before we get started, I want to thank the sponsors who support our show, MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And so let's bring in John Ham. Ham, you're in a basement somewhere. I'm happy that you made some time for this. I'm in an undisclosed location, Brett. That's right. That's right. Secret uh, bunker. Yes. Like in The Last of Us, except not quite <laughs> like that. Um, so, Ham, I feel like, first of all, before we get to, to the nitty gritty of what we're talking about today, that's the first time I've ever used that phrase. Um, I want to talk you and Jenny Carlson have kind of become the TV experts, uh, the Thunder TV experts. Not, you're not like reviewing, um, you know, uh, new Disney Plus shows or whatever, but um, this sort of the Thunder, the Thunder TV experts. And you have a podcast about that. I want to plug it a little bit. So for people who want to go and find that episode of The Big Friendly with John Hamm, he and Jenny kind of talk about uh, this new Thunder over the air deal, these Friday night specials um, that are going to be not available to you with the streaming platforms that you've had before, but will be available to you with an antenna. And John, you guys covered it really well, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I would suggest that people go and see it or uh, go and listen to it. But I do want to talk a little bit about whether you think this portends something for the future uh, and, and what that might be for the Thunder. Like, is this the way people are going to be watching their games next year? It's entirely possible. And it, at least for people in Oklahoma, um, there may be a streaming option. This has become like the two-tiered approach we've seen with the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns where they've gone over the air, but they also have a subscription package, which also has some extra perks for fans as well that want to sign up for that. Um, but it sure, it sure feels like that we're trending in this direction. So yeah, there's still a lot of volatility out there. You know, again, I, I've, I've heard Amazon trying to get in possibly to back um, Diamond Sports Group, which could bring Valley back as a legitimate platform. But, um, you know, this sure feels like a trial balloon to see if this is going to be something that can work next season and beyond. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. You know, for me, for somebody who, you know, when I don't travel, it's really important that I watch the Thunder. Uh, and even when I moved back here, I wanted to be able to watch every game. So I chose DirecTV Stream so that I could stream the games on Bally. You can't do that with YouTube TV, which was my previous platform. I switched. I know a lot of people did this. 
it's a little bit of a bummer. I got to say, I do think it's a bummer for people who, who picked one thing. And now for the remainder of this season, they can't get their Friday night games the way they wanted them. You know, they have to change uh, the format. I don't think that's great. I don't think that's great for those people. I do think the over the air antenna situation is the best for the most people. But I also think they've got to find a streaming option in addition, even if they go this way. I talked to friends the past couple of days. I'm sure you have two who are like, I watch shouts to my friend Ross. who's like, I watch it at my kids' basketball practices. I watch in my office. I watch on my iPad. And like those people matter too. <laughs> and, and not everybody, it's 2024. And not everybody yeah. who watches a game sits down in front of their living room TV to watch it, even if they live in the market. So they're probably going to have to address that somehow. Yeah, and that could be part of the national TV contracts that the NBA is talking about as they're negotiating with Disney and Warner Brothers and potentially Amazon as well. Um, you know, it could very well be that we see that, you know, become an option where you can you can get league pass, if you will, uh, without any restrictions. If, you know, the if the games are broadcast over the air, um, you know, the people locally are going to watch that. But for the fans that are out of state, they can still subscribe to League Pass. And it might be roughly the same cost as a Valley Sports Plus and get the games that way. So, you know, there's a whole lot of like rumor and speculation, some of it informed and some not, you know, that I that I keep track of through places like Sports Business Journal, trying to figure out you know, what are the next steps here? And uh, I mean, there's certainly a path there. They might just have to like let go of things like blackout areas and problems like that, which, you know, restrict some fans right. from being able to see their, their favorite team. Right. Which is what Apple did with the MLS thing that they put together. So you can buy an MLS kind of package from Apple and you can see anything wherever you are. So if you live yeah. in Miami, you can watch Miami. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, uh, fingers crossed a lot of that sense. that is we'll part see. of this plan. Yeah, it's so funny, the blackouts. I've talked about it before on various podcasts that when I lived in Louisville, I couldn't get the Pacers, which like, okay. The Cavs, which is getting a little ridiculous. And the Grizzlies, which is completely absurd. Uh, and I know there's lots of places like that. If you ever listen to Brian Windhorst's podcast, he talks about living in like a uh, like a black hole in Omaha where there's like so many teams that you can't watch. And so that is something I think they've got to address and hopefully are going to address as they get a new deal. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, Ham, what I wanted to talk about today, we spent so much time and we're, believe me, we're going to talk about some things that we've talked a lot about already. Like rebounding is going to come up here in a minute. Um, <laughs> but like so much narrative around the thunder lately has been trade focused. It's been, who can they get? that makes them a little better uh, in the, along the margins? Who makes them a little better rebounding team? Who makes them a little better defensive team? Who's a, a bigger wing they could get? And I think those things are real valid, and I understand why people are talking about those things. It's because this team has jumped ahead of schedule, and now everybody wants the next thing. Um, but I think there's the, the best way for them to improve, or the most likely way for them to improve, is that they get better themselves on the margins. The players that they currently have still develop during the season. And I want to talk a little bit today about where we see some of those things. Where are some things that this current group of players in similar rotation minutes with similar or the exact same guys can still get better? And I think we talk so much about this as a developmental franchise, right? That doesn't start. That, it's not like that happens only in July. You know, mm -hmm. it has to continue to happen right now, right? 
I mean, the rebounding is, as you mentioned, you know, that's that's a, a hot topic, a sore subject among some people. Um, but there has been some improvement on that throughout the season. Um, some of that is, I think, just, you know, uh, schematically, uh, maybe we need to crash the boards a little bit more rather than leaking out so much. Um, you know, maybe we need to have a little bit more of a focus on, you know, going and getting the ball after they box out because like the box out numbers have always been great for OKC. Um, it's just securing the ball and ending the possession and, um, Really on the defensive end, you know, their offensive rebounding numbers are not going to be good, but they shoot the ball really well. So there's not that many rebounds to chase on that end. Um, but it's ending those possessions. Obviously, that is the main thing that's, you know, people are trying to fix that. And, you know, there's there may be still some some levers to pull within to make that better. Yeah, so there's a couple of things with the rebounding. One, I think, you know, what's funny is we fixated so much on what a bad defensive rebounding team they are. We've really missed that they're a terrible offensive re- rebounding team as well. Like they're really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Mark Dagnall made that point at some point in the season that like, hey, we're 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 losing sight of the fact that we also don't offensive rebound. They do need to get better at that. To your point, there's one thing I would point out. The last ten games, I was looking at some stats, and I know you do this on kind of the round numbers every ten games when we get there. Um, but just over their last ten games, because ten is just a cool number to look at and see. Um, Josh Getty's gone from 13.8% of available defensive rebounds. So his defensive rebounding percentage when he's on the floor from 13.8 to 16.7, uh, Shea's gone up to 18.2, I think, or, uh, um, 17.1 from 13.6. Those guys are rebounding better. Chet has fallen off a little, which has led them to kind of be in the same place. But I think Chet's will be fine. I think Chet will rebound the ball. He's not going to be a huge rebounding guy because of the way he plays defense. He's all over the floor. He's contesting. He comes over and help. That's going to leave some rebounds for other people to get. I do think we're seeing some signs of the guards getting a little bit better. And I do think that's crucial for them. It is. And, you know, again, I know that there is some thought, you know, you listen to the same podcast that I do. Pat Riley will say rebounds uh, or no rebounds, no rings or rebounds equals rings. One of the two. Um, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, rebounding is, you know, not important. Uh, but once upon a time when the Warriors came out and were shooting three pointers on fast breaks, people were like, whoa, what is this? You know, I, I think that there is uh, there is a desire to to try something different, um, you know, with, you know, the, the personnel they're putting out there that are, you know, intentionally undersized. And, you know, they'll see later if that's a problem. But in the meantime, it's little things like that that you mentioned, there is some ability from within to make this better, uh, to make it less of a problem. And, you know, I, I think, um, I think writing that for a while longer is worthwhile. Yeah. J-Dub has not been a great rebounder. I mean, I think that's one of the things, um, you know, he and Lou Dort both are going to be kind of low and that's, I don't know how much there's a, a great capacity for that to change. Some of that is just stylistic. Um, with J-Dub, I think some of that is that he leaks out. But those guys yeah. are, are just sort of the places they're defending. Um, some of that's going to be a little tricky. Dort is just all over the perimeter, and so crashing the boards from where he's going to be is not always practical. Um, you do need floor balance, too. You can't just send everybody to the boards. You do want, like, you're a fast-playing team. And so you do want some capacity to clear the board and go. And so you're not going to just send everybody to the boards. That's not the way you're going to play. 
um, in, in the same way that you won't spit, send everybody to the offensive glass with such a small team because you have to have guys who get back on defense. And so, like, they're still walking this line stylistically of this is what we want to do. We want to play small and fast and be disruptive and be hard to guard. And, like, some of the rebounding is just going to be sacrificed. But I think if you're looking at areas where they can get, you know, if every player can get 3% better, I think that's one of those places where if everybody just gets mildly better, that's a pretty significant change for that. Yeah, it, it could be. And, you know, a, a, another thing, Brett, that, you know, I sort of look at is, you know, sort of, you know, what do the Thunder actually have? I think that is something that is still sort of developing, like in regards to a guy like Usman Jang who has had an extended stint in the G League. Now, again, I don't expect him at his peak to be like a 10-rebound-per-game guy, nor the, nor does he probably have to be. Um, but, you know, I think there's a little bit of that as well, is that, you know, some of the prospects that are in the pipeline that might be able to help out with this, they're not there yet. And is that something else? They just don't really have clarity on that yet, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, They've got some guys. Jing is the big one. Could they get Keontae Johnson some minutes at some point? Maybe. Like, I don't think that's outrageous to think. And maybe mm -hmm. he would be a guy who helps out here and there. I think the key thing, you know, we talk, we've talked so much about trades. We've talked ad nauseum about trades. And so many people say, go out and shore up the rebounding with a trade. And, like, I love the idea of that. I love the idea that you go out and you get a, a piece of value for not too much in terms of assets, who fixes your rebounding problem. But we, we, the other thing we keep saying every time we talk about those kinds of trades is, you know, like Usman Jang is a guy who, if you could get him in there and he could help you out a little bit rebounding, you know some of the other stuff he can do. He spots up and shoots. He plays pretty well off the guys they have. He is not a guy who needs the ball. And so, like, just finding guys, he'll move the ball too. That's one of the big keys. Like, he's just a guy who will move it. It doesn't stick. He either shoots it or he swings it. Um, often he shoots it, but, but like he, he'll swing it. And, and like, I just think they just can't go out and find a rebounder and say like, well, this guy will come in and in 36 minutes less than that. Cause they don't have that many minutes to give away in 22 to 24 minutes, he'll get six or seven rebounds and fix the whole problem. And then just not worry about whether he can pass and whether he can put the ball on the floor. Like they, they, they can't, they don't want to do that. They have no interest in that at this point. Yeah. And, you know, realistically, you know, if you look at OKC's nine to 10 man rotation and what we're going to define as a typical rotation, obviously there's curveballs on any given night. Um, but when you look at the primary guys that, that get minutes night in, night out, you know, a, a lot of fans are talking about just adding someone in there. That's problematic. You know, who's going, who's going to lose minutes as a result of all this? What kind of a guy are you bringing in? If you're, you know, targeting some guy that plays 30 minutes a night and want to wedge him in here, the math may not work. And so, you know, the Thunder have, uh, obviously, with considering the record, a very solid, uh, you know, nine, 10 man group. So, you know, I think what you have to what you have to start asking is, what are you willing to give up out of that to make some improvements? And a lot of fans are not willing to do that. And maybe the front office is not as well. Therefore, <laughs> that improvement comes from within if it's going to get better. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like some people would say, well, you know, like uh, maybe Andrew Wiggins, Andrew, I did the same thing that you've done many times. Maybe Aaron <laughs> Wiggins is in that trade, you know, so uh -huh. that frees up some stuff. Aaron Wiggins doesn't play consistent minutes, you know, like yeah. the, if you trade Aaron Wiggins, 
you haven't solved the problem of a log jam if you bring somebody else in. He's already not getting enough minutes for some people. I mean, I know a lot of people would like to see him play more. There are other guys like that who are playing some, you know, who might have some trade value. But if you trade them, like it's not necessarily uh, changing the log jam kind of situation you have. Um, you know, Mitic would be one of those guys. If you wanted to trade Vasa, you know, his minutes are are sort of sporadic. They're all over the map. And so like including some guys like that, it doesn't necessarily just build you out 25 minutes to give a guy. And so they do have to think about that sort of stuff too. I mean, I think that's why, you know, it's so funny because, you know, you, you very well recall that we had the summer of internal development where Sam Presti was like, everybody's just, all we're going to do is everybody's got to get a little bit better. And then they went out and traded for Paul George. And yeah. so they did the exact opposite of that. And so that's not to say they won't make a trade, but I do think like, because of all these issues, I do think the best thing for them to focus on is like this stuff, this stuff that's internal. Um, another one to me, Ham, is like, they got to stop fouling so much. Yeah. And I know that like, they're not a physical defensive team. They're, they are based on uh, you know, a lot of wing defenders. That's how they're built, a bunch of versatile guys. Um, but they are fouling at an astronomical rate lately. They're sending opponents over the past eight games to the free throw line about 29 times a game. And that's not sustainable if you want to be really good. And you found the the quote from Kyle Kuzma the other night that we know that they foul a lot, so we take advantage of that. And, you know, a lot of that probably is the youth of this team. I mean, I still remember Steven Adams coming in and averaging, I mean, it felt like 13 fouls for 36 minutes or something. Like he constantly yeah. uh, was was just hammering guys. So some of that is probably just, you know, youth. Some of it could be some of the frantic style that they play is going to, you know, lend itself to that. But um you know, yeah, that's absolutely one thing. And by the way, there's a thing that you really don't trade for. How do we go get a guy that trades, you know, that fouls less? <laughs> that's yeah. that's not really a thing that happens. Right, exactly. This reminds me that when I covered um, DeMarcus Cousins at Kentucky, at the beginning of the season, he was averaging more than five fouls per 40 minutes. And so technically that meant he was averaging fewer than 40 minutes per 40 minutes. Because <laughs> he wouldn't be able to play 40 minutes. If he got more than five fouls. That's just space time fold again on itself right there. When you explain it like that, that's, <laughs> that's a collapse. It really is. It's everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Starring DeMarcus Cousins, <laughs> which I would watch, by the way. Um, put him in any, any of the roles. I would be fine with it. Make a sequel. I don't care. Whatever. But yeah, the, the fouling thing is, and I, I do think it was interesting. Kuzma was the first guy I've heard this season give voice to it. Um, and say like, this is a problem that we know, like, this is a weakness we know they have. And so we're going to attack it. And that is, uh, I mean, it's obvious that that's what teams are doing, but it's, it's really something when a player who, by the way, I listened to his whole postgame interview the other day and Kyle Kuzma is astute. I mean, that guy understands the game. He really knows players. Um, he knows personnel really well. He talks about guys' tendencies, a really bright guy. And for him to say, you know, they just, we know they foul. And so we got going downhill and we knew they'd foul us is, I mean, like damning is the wrong word, but it certainly uh, puts into focus that you have an issue. Yeah. That that's clearly on the scouting report, uh, that gets handed around, you know, uh, to these guys. And by the way, he also had 15 rebounds the other night and, you know, Michael Martin came on my show and had a trade for Kyle <laughs> Kuzma that I shot down. You know, what do I know? Um, clearly he, <laughs> He's, he's a student of the game and can rebound very well. Um, 
but yeah, you know, again, I think a lot of this is going to, uh, a, a lot of this is their youth and, and we hear coaches talk about it a lot. I, I don't know, you know, um, how you go about other than just sort of reinforcing, um, you know, maybe being a little more, um, cognizant of when you go to contest stuff, um, you know, things like that, um, you know, being, uh, less willing to put a guy on the line, um, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a problem that, uh, that that probably you know, like fixing the rebounding might be a little bit easier because this one they may just have to age out of. Yeah, I think there's something to that, and I mean, again, this goes back to something Sam Presti said at the beginning of the season, which was like, you know, if he could make a trade that made Shea a couple of years older or whatever, or or, or Chet or whatever, you can't trade guys into into being 24 as opposed to yeah. 22. Um, and they are going to have to, some of that is just going to come with time. Now, I think there's some things they can do. I do think they get a little over eager um, around the rim a little bit. They are a smaller team. Chet is really the only guy who's playing consistently, who's a, a rim protector. And so I think sometimes there's a little bit of, you know, anxiousness there. Sometimes Chet doesn't need the help that they're getting, that they're committing fouls on. I think you just leave him be sometimes on an island, trust him not to foul. He's pretty good at it. Um, I think there's been a, there's been some flukiness as there's always going to be with a stat like this. Like it's hard to fouls is like a hard thing to say. Like here's the problem when you foul. There's going to be some things where it's like, oh, you go on a run where you foul three point shooters two or three games in a row, and that contributes. Um, that's currently happening. I think they've done it a couple of games in a row, I believe. Um, so it's it's little things like that. But I, I do think there's also just some you know some learning the the nuance of playing NBA defense that some of these guys like Shea pretty much has it down and Lou Dort pretty much has it down at this point. But some of these other younger guys, you know, it's learning how to show your hands on certain guys to, you know, back off and, and use your chest and keep your hands away from the body. Um, things like that, that I do think you just sort of learn that I don't think these guys have learned. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sure, you could bring in a couple of veterans or whatever and, and play some minutes. But, you know, again, uh if you take minutes away from, you know, some of your younger guys, those are the best players on the team. You understand the conundrum a little bit. So um, you, there may be ways to make yeah. it a little bit better, but you know, again, uh, you want your younger guys to figure this stuff out. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing, another thing I was looking at, you know, in terms of like, where can they get a little better um, just with the team they have, I think one that I'm very confident they will get better. And this one's very timely. And so like we're recording this as they play a game, it could change tonight, but they are in a little slump at the free throw line, which is yeah. weird and interesting for a team that, that went into last week as the number one free throw shooting team in the league. Um, one thing is like, like your high volume free throw guy is Shea and he is in a little bit of a slump. And so basically that puts you in a slump. That's sort of the way the numbers work that when the guy who shoots the most of them suddenly is missing some, but it's been a little bit of an epidemic. Like they've had a couple of other guys. Chet's had a couple one for twos. Uh, J-Dub had an 0 for two trip, I think at one point in this, this recent spell, that's a little thing where you wonder if maybe there might be a little bit of fatigue starting to set in for a team that started so well, but is so young. They've just got a lot of guys who haven't been here before. Yeah. And yeah, how many technical free throws have been missed just, you know, randomly it's, you know, again, those are just yeah. one-off <laughs> yeah. points All here and there, you know, but it's, it's just another sign that, you know, maybe this is just sort of a shooting slump only from the free throw line and maybe it corrects itself. But yeah, it, it is something that, you know, when you, when you layer in over the past week or two, um, granted coming off of those wins against Denver and Minnesota and Boston, uh, where, where 
pretty much the high point of the season. Um, it's been it's it's been drugged down a little bit, but um, but it's something that uh, is is worth sort of reinforcing come playoff time. Like these points become very valuable as the game gets tighter. For sure. And I think the other thing to me, and this, this goes hand in hand with the free throw shooting and I like, I don't have the data on this, but I'm pretty sure the Thunder's never made a technical free throw ever in the history of the franchise. So um, I'm not exactly sure on that. Don't, don't check my numbers on that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, but I do think there's also, and a lot of this, again, it goes back to inexperience. I, you know, they were clearly a tired team against Atlanta and that's fine. Like you're a tired team against Atlanta when you beat Boston the night before in a game where, you know, Boston obviously makes the big comeback. You're, you got to expend some energy to just kind of hold them off. You've expended a lot of energy just to build a big lead on a team that good. Then you have a flight delay and you don't get in until five in the morning or whatever. And you're flat against Atlanta. But to me, they still look tired against Brooklyn and that's okay too. Like it happens. This is what the season is. Um, but I do think in some way or another, you have to fight through the fatigue a little bit, combat that a little bit. And this is another thing. I just don't know that you can just, you can't just fix it. It's not like you can say, okay, guys, two hour naps and everybody's fine. You know, like it's not, it doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't change your nutrition overnight. Like, I just think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve of just managing the NBA. And, and some of that is like, managing the competitive NBA. J-Dub is not playing his first NBA season, but even he will tell you it's different now. He's the guy who said it. Teams treat them differently. Teams come at them differently now because it is a, a win that matters on the schedule, whereas last year it was a game that you rested your starters sometimes, you know? Um, and certainly that was the case two years ago, but, but even early last season especially, this just wasn't a team that, that people took as seriously. And so I think there is some management of like, the grind of playing all the time in pretty highly competitive games. And that will take some time. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got, I believe, two stretches of five games and seven nights this month, uh, starting against Miami, where they play Miami and then back home for Portland, uh, play Orlando Saturday, and then go to L.A. for two games. And then they've got another five and seven coming up later this month. And, you know, factor in all of the travel, all of the time zone changes, uh, you know, just the there's a lot that goes on there that a lot of fans don't think about. They just want players to show up and be their best. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of this is they can take all of the, you know, recommended or necessary steps, you know, to, to prepare themselves for the game. And they're, they're just not quite ready for it until they're actually thrown in there. So uh, being Chet's first season against, you know, live NBA competition has been a learning curve. Um, you know, clearly he didn't have it against Atlanta the other night and, you know, didn't play down the stretch in that one. And you know, that's going to be on Mark Dignall to kind of like juggle as well throughout the season. Not necessarily like, you know, how do I ration minutes to keep guys fresh or anything, but it's just recognizing like this guy just doesn't have it tonight and having to, you know, pivot and go in a different direction. Yeah. And I think we've seen that with almost every player, not so much Shea, but like we've seen, you know, in Houston, he just, took Chet Holmgren out and it didn't go back to him. Basically they played a little better with the guys on the floor. They didn't play well at any point. And then by the time he was going to kind of put Chet back in, the game felt a little out of hand. So he just stayed away. There was another game recently uh, where they just didn't go back to Chet. They just didn't close with him. Um, and uh, it was like, I, I don't remember if that was one of the games they lost. I don't remember. There was a game though, where he got, you know, it came up again, like the, the usage of Chet uh, late in the game. And, uh, sometimes guys aren't going to have it. He clearly didn't in Atlanta. Atlanta was an interesting game. I think the first game, not, I think I know 
the first game this year where Chet didn't have a block and Shea didn't have a steal in the same game, which is yeah. kind of a weird quirk of their uh, defensive statistics. Um, but I, I, I do think like, you know, J-Dub was better last year. Like a lot of people talk about hitting the wall. J-Dub was better in the second half of the year than he was in the first half. And some of that was just kind of learning the league and all that. I do think the circumstances are different for this team, just given the, the way teams approach them. But I do think Chet will have to fight through some of that stuff too and, and find, you know, one, find ways to just get better conditioned as he plays, which does happen for some rookies. Um, but also just like, you know, he, he mentioned the other night talking about he went through a shooting slump and he started to get on himself about like, I need to make all these open jump shots. I got to make all these open threes. And he had to come to the realization of like, hey, it's a long season. So you're going to have games where you don't make shots and you just got to deal with it and come back. You can't be a perfectionist at this level anymore. And he's been kind of a perfectionist, he said, me in his basketball career. All these things are adjustments. And this is another way I think they'll just get better internally. Not all that will happen this season, but it is a way that they'll continue to get better. Is like they'll just learn the NBA more. They will. And they're young. And I mean, this team does play hard. They really do. Um, now that they've had a couple of nights where you've, you know, you mentioned the dead legs um, and you get it. But I mean, prior to that, there were very few games this season where you felt like they just didn't have it or they, they looked gassed. I mean, this team plays very hard. And I, I think sort of learning how to pace yourself is another valuable skill that these guys pick up along the way. Yeah, I think that's true. I will say for a young team, They've taken some losses that you just sort of take. I, one of the things they've done is avoid those up until this most recent stretch. Like they did a great job. We've talked about the Portland game, um, which was really the, one of the ultimate examples of doing a thing a young team typically wouldn't do. Like that's a game you just kind of, even if you don't lose because Portland was shorthanded and is bad, like often it's a game you'd, you'd be very competitive in because you're coming off that Golden State game the night before, then you travel. Um, the other teams at home. You just kind of think that's going to go the other way, and they just ran Portland off the floor. Atlanta, I will say to their credit, is a game where, like, that's a game where you could see them losing. Atlanta was favored. People know how the NBA works, you know? Like, um, they've reached a point where I kind of expect them to win that game. But, like, the one thing they did do is they got back in that game, which is not something I expected. I kind of thought they would roll over after a certain point. They did the same thing in Brooklyn. So those, I think, are encouraging signs for them, even if they were kind of bad games. Yeah, no, I think that is absolutely true. Other teams, you know, they get down by that much. They just sort of pack it in and just, you know, they don't have the will or, or really the ability to crawl back into those. So, um, you know, they have made a, a couple of valiant uh, comebacks. Uh, they've even staved off big comebacks this season as well. Uh, so they've, you know, they've shown a lot of resiliency. And, uh, you know, that's something they're definitely going to need to get through the rest of the way here. Yeah, I think in, in terms of how they get better, I still think there are some things around Chet that can get better defensively. It's not to say he can't. Um, they've been a really good defensive team, but I think they're going to need a little bit more cushion just to kind of, th th they're going to have some more off nights. I think some of the shooting will come down to earth a little. Now, some of it already is. Case and Wallace, you know, Chet went through a stretch where he couldn't make anything. Case and has been going through a stretch lately where jump shots have been hard to come by. I don't know that Lou Dort's going to stay at 40%, although we're deep into a season where he is doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think to cushion for some of that stuff, I just think there's some little marginal things. We already talked about the fouling. I just think they can be a little bit more consistent on the ball um, and a little bit tighter in some of their rotation stuff. They're giving up some open threes that I, I know they're making a choice on some of them, but they're leaving 
uh, some they don't want to leave. I, I think there's some tightening up they can still do at that end. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, all, all these things that we're talking about, at least, you know, these are not like, you know, drastic uh, deal breakers for the team or anything. I mean, we, there are teams, teams in a lot worse shape. So if you're, you know, you're a Thunder fan and you're, you know, frustrated about a, a few of these little things and, you know, sure, there are things that could come up and bite you at an inopportune time, but there's a whole lot of things this, this team does really well. And you just have to ultimately, in the end, you have to hope that, you know, they can do enough of those things well enough to compensate for some of these other issues. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think they do a lot of things really well that are really sustainable. Um, like one of those things is the existence of Shea. Like I, I just think like as long as Shea is on the team and healthy, he's going to play this way. Like this is who he is. Like yeah. we're seeing right now, he had a couple of games where he didn't have steals and um, he missed a couple of free throws. But those are, I mean, it's nitpicking for him in the grand scheme of things. He's going to make those free throws. Like he'll be back to a game where he makes 11 out of 12 and 14 out of 15. And like the steals, he was on such an astronomical pace before the past couple of games. The steals may not get back to where they were, but that's who he is now as a defender. He's a guy who's going to get steals. He gets them in a lot of different ways. He gets them without gambling. Like Chet's going to block shots. He might have a couple of games where he doesn't, but he's going to get back to blocking shots. J-Dub is going to score. And when he has a couple of games where the shots aren't dropping, like that's going to come back around. And so I think that's probably the best thing they have going for them is that as for such a young team, they have a lot of remarkably reliable things they can just sort of count on every night going into games. Yeah, and that matters a lot. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of quality depth. There's some, I don't want to, I don't know if overlapping is the right word, but, you know, they have some guys that can fill in if, you know, Isaiah Joe just doesn't quite have it that night. They, you know, it's not any, like, they don't bring in the next shooter necessarily, but they have more guys than Isaiah Joe that can shoot from deep if needed and that's just one example uh but in the front court you know it's it's a valid point that you know behind chet jay will's gotten some time but he's clearly not you know the the type of defensive player that chet is and the charge taking is has taken a hit this season so you know if you're looking for improvements this is why we've sort of you know we've talked about small changes potentially you know, maybe maybe a, a veteran to sort of like be available and, and in case one of the kids starts to tail off a little bit uh, or to just just give them another option. That's another thing that Thunder seem to really like is optionality. We hear about that quite a bit. So like having like the option to play a more veteran guy down the stretch and in the playoffs, that may be something that, uh, you know, they eventually take care of. Um, but still, they're going to be riding what all of these guys do as you just rattled off and everything that they're capable of doing. Yeah, I think if if there's one thing that, you know, in this, this crazy stretch of January, it's interesting, too. They've gotten to a place now where. They're good. They want to keep winning games. They want to, you know, like they're, they're in a position. It's not like they didn't want to win games in the past, um, but they're a good competitive team now that, that soon will be thinking about playoff seating and stuff like that. So in this tough stretch of January, you know, when we talk about getting a little bit better, I'd like to see them try the Jay Will and Chet stuff just a little bit more. It's such a small sample. Yeah. Um, but also maybe they just, I mean, it, it might just be that they just don't like it. Maybe they just feel like it's not there. Uh, I'd like to see as you need to sort of tweak your minutes a little bit with so many games, I'd like to see a few more looks at it. I think it would be interesting to try a little bit more. Um, but it may just be that like, Hey, this just isn't, you know, maybe Mark Dagnall's just looking at it and saying, that's not it. Yeah. He, he does love his super small lineups because we get those quite often. Sometimes just for a few possessions, we look out there and it's like, I guess Dort is the center. 
in this lineup, but you know, uh, Mark loves running those and and they're kind of fun. Um, but you know, really, unless it's been, I guess really Denver is the only time that I can think of like any extensive, like Jay will and Chet minutes. I know they've played together in in maybe another game or two for, you know, some kind of a stretch, but, um, you know, whenever the Thunder roll out against like even a team like Minnesota, they tend to go the other direction. They seem to be a lot more comfortable. And by the way, they've been successful doing that too. Yeah, I, I, my thing is like, I think I just sort of like Jay Will a little more than what he's been for them statistically this year. And so like, I'd like to see them find some ways to, to get him on the floor a little bit more. And I, I don't want Chet on the floor a little bit less. So maybe yeah. it's, Maybe it's something you take more of a look at, but I, I'm not sure I love the lineup. I like I, I get why they're not doing it. The thing I keep pointing out to fans all the time when they say like, well, they should try this or they should try that. Like get it being small is how they got where they are. It's why they're this good. Um, his weird rotations that drive everybody insane. That's why they're so good because they found some guys by doing it. Um, and so they've also found some ways to get guys rest by doing it. Um, it's hard to knock what they've done to this point. And so like, I don't think when we talk about them getting a little bit better without a trade, I just think it's gradual stuff. A lot of it that's going to happen with time in the NBA. Like they haven't done anything that makes me think, well, they really got to shake it up. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, it, it's different than, you know, back in the, the first thunder run, whenever they clearly needed a defensive minded big man to go up against Memphis and San Antonio and Los Angeles, potentially Portland. And, and, you know, the West was stacked in that regard in the Eastern conference, not so much. Um, now, I mean, the Thunder are sort of like, you know, they are hoping to make teams adjust to them. And I think we've seen on a few occasions this season, teams have had to reluctantly do that. And that's sort of what they're after. And that's the whole zigging while the other teams are zagging. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, it's a really important point that you could say, like when you said what it was clear the Thunder needed in that first iteration of like contending teams, one of the ways they found that out is they got into playoff series mm-hmm. and they played some of those teams and they figured out what worked against them in the playoffs and what didn't, because what works in the playoffs can be a little different than what works in the regular season. And so I do think ultimately when we talk about one of the reasons I wanted to talk about them getting a little bit better here and there, as opposed to making a trade is like, they may very well make a trade. That, that might be a thing that they do. I don't think they're going to go get a star, but like some trades on the margins. Absolutely. But I still think, and I'm just going to keep saying this until I'm thunder blue in the face, they want to have a playoff run with this group, whatever that means, whatever that entails. A run might mean a series in the playoffs. They want to play these guys in a playoff series and see what happens. How do teams guard Josh Giddey? How do you counter the way teams guard Josh Giddey? Does the slowed down game hurt your offense? Does it hinder some of the things you do defensively? Is it going to maximize that rebounding advantage, or are you going to be able to find ways to undercut it? All that stuff, you got to see it in the playoffs to see what happens. That's why I think, you know, the places they're going to be focused on is like, how do we get this group just a little bit better? Yeah. And uh, granted, a, a lot of fans are sort of wired to how can we permanently fix a problem that I foresee that can't possibly fix itself? <laughs> That's sort of how a lot of people uh, tend to view these things. Um, and also because, you know, Oklahoma City has so many assets stockpiled, people want them to go spend their money. They see that as, well, that shows me you're serious. If you would go make a big trade now, I would, you know, that that's my benchmark for whether you actually believe you're, you know, uh, one of the big game players or not. And what's hard to understand is like, you know, sometimes staying still is the right move. 
or sometimes like, you know, making a move before you have all the right information can be very bad as well. So, um, you know, it requires a lot of patience, which is not uh, typically great a lot uh, with a lot of observers. Um, but that stockpile of assets, man, that is something that is just driving people. It's just making them itchy. They just want the Thunder to go out and just splurge on that stuff now and uh, and start capitalizing on a run. You know, they, they may be okay without that and be able to use that stuff in other ways. Well, yeah, it's one of the great things. Like people always talk about in the NBA, you have a guy and you say, okay, he's really good. But can he be the best player on a championship team? And then it's like, okay, can this guy be the second best player on a championship team? And can this guy be the third best player on a championship team? It might be that they have yes answers to all of those. Yeah. Like they might have the yes answer. It's possible. We don't know, but it's possible that Shea and Chet can be the top two players on a championship team and that J-Dub can be the third best player on a championship team. But you don't find that out in January and February. That's not when you learn uh, who these guys are, you know, we're going to learn it in April and, and May and, you know, probably just April and May, but, but like, um, <laughs> down the road that you find that stuff out later, you find that stuff out in the summer. And so, um, I, I'm fascinated by what they have. I know they are pretty excited by what they have. And I think while I totally understand the need to say like, let's go get some more pieces. I still think the core thing this season is just figure out what this group is. And that includes figuring out what they are in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, you know, I've mentioned this before as well, but, you know, this team is really going to hit its peak whenever Chet takes that next step. He's been excellent. He's, you know, one of the, he's in the top two for rookie of the year this year. Um, He's being talked about as a defensive player of the year candidate. I'm just telling you, like, this is a guy that in a year or two, we may be talking definitively about him as a defensive player of the year. We're going to be talking about him definitively as an NBA all-star. And it's like you said, that's something that can't be rushed. So go make whatever trade you want to right now. That's not going to bring Chet up to the level that is going to have this team hit its peak. It's, um, you know, it's it's not a satisfying answer for a lot of people, but, you know, with the team in this situation, I think it's it's the, the path that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, look, I had somebody who knows the league really well ask me the other day, are we sure he's going to be the second best player on that team long term? <laughs> like, yeah. are we sure he won't be the best player on that team long term? And all I can say is, like, if he gets to number one, they've got a hell of a thing on their hands. Because number one is really good. I mean, like, you know, like their best player is is a hell of a player, as Dennis Schroeder would say. And, uh, you know, like that, that if, if they top that one, um, if they knock that guy down, if they knock number two on the, on, in your program, uh, down to number two in their pecking order, uh, that's a heck of a thing. I, I'm not sure I'm willing to suggest that Chet can get there, but like the, the ceiling on Chet is, is crazy high. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree with the idea of, you know, that this just, it, it is unfortunate for some impatient people that this is just going to take a little time. Just they just need a little time to figure it out. They're really good and just like really enjoy it while you can. And that's the other thing I would say is like don't don't focus too much on like think about ways they can get better at being guarded the way they've been guarded um, when centers are on Josh Giddy. And think about like think about the strides J Dub has made as a playmaker and think how much more he still may be able to do in that area. Like I would just focus all my attention if I was rooting for this team. Like steer it away from. Brooklyn or whoever, like wherever you find trade targets that you're intrigued by, like shift your focus back to Oklahoma City. Just think more about what these guys can still be. Um, because I, I think 
it's hard to remember as they're playing the way they're playing that there's a whole lot of, there's so much out in front of them. There's so much more out in front of them than there is behind. They, they've got, these guys have so much room to grow as players. Like we can't even name all the things they can get better at internally. Cause we don't know what these guys are capable of yet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, trades are fun. I'm someone that has found a niche in, you know, telling you what, how trades work and how they're legal and not legal. And, you know, that's part of it there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting to want to get, you know, okay, chapter two was great. Let me skip to chapter 12. Uh, you're going to miss a whole lot there in the middle and you might even ruin the experience if you do that. So, um, you know, like I, I still say, if you're excited about this team and what they've built so far, put some trust in the people that got them to this point, <laughs> because if they, if they got them this far, they probably have a pretty good idea, a pretty good feel on what to do next, if they need to do anything. 100%. Ham, thank you for being here. Everybody listening, make sure you go and listen and subscribe to The Big Friendly with John Ham. Make sure you check out this most recent episode with Jenny Carlson. We'll tell you a lot about this new television situation with the Thunder, where that might lead. We'll find out. But for now, for how to find the Thunder on Friday nights and what that means, you can find it all there. Make sure you subscribe to this show here on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. And check out all the stuff that we're writing over at sellercrowd.com. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>